I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. This is Death by DVD. You're listening to Hank, the world's greatest, and I, Alexander Nash. And it is our birthday, the 12th year of terrible dot 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 movie reviews. Hooray! Yay, birthday! We're legal to marry our own cousins in Alabama. We were legal three years ago for that. So, what we do on every anniversary show, and by every I mean since the last anniversary show, we do Q&A. This is our Reddit AMA, except, you know, the questions are screened. And it's not ask us anything, it's ask us very specific questions that we have answers for. We've been posting on social media the last two or three weeks, maybe even four. You could go directly to our website. This will remain open on www.deathbydvd.com. You can suggest a movie, leave us a question, tell us we suck, or uh, you know, preferably that we don't suck. That would be nice. So we gathered some of those, and then we procured questions of our own to ask each other. So do you want to do this? Do you want to go first, or am I going to ask you the, the inaugural, the virginal I could question? go first. Sure. Because the question has been posed by a fan, a listener. Where did you two meet and start your friendship and decide to start a podcast? It was an argument over a nose ring, I believe, is what started it all. Yes, it was. It wasn't an argument, though. You, uh, you kind of went, what are you talking about? And then you went back. Yeah, I think I watched and, it. Yeah, you, were, you went and watched the movie again and said, Holy shit, you're right. This is all about John Carpenter's The Thing. A simple social media post about, does anyone else notice the nose ring that Doc wears in The Thing? Funny. That's strange. And then, big diatribe by Hank. Big, long list of messages. Uh, Just absolute confusion, which is something I think that's lasted to this day, especially when I just want to understand something. There's nothing to understand in the movie. He does, in fact, the character has a nose ring. Why he felt like his character should have a nose ring, it's as simple as that. I think even before, like, screenshotting and and what we can do now, I took a fucking picture. Before high definition, you could actually see it. We're we're talking about, like, old videotapes and DVDs where it's still a little bit fuzzy and you can't like see it in absolutely every scene. This is like, you could kind of glimpse it, especially in the VHS. Like, I think he's wearing a nose ring. And for a character, for, like the, the character, he's a doctor and he's played by a 60 something year old man. Why the fuck does he have a nose ring? And that question has never been answered to me. Yeah. I think Carpenter has addressed it. Maybe I might be making this up, but it seems like something that I might have read also that it was the actor's decision that he just kind of felt his character should have a nose ring. And it was past the point of anyone trying to argue him out of it. And I mean, you could try and logically give it a reasoning. Like, I don't know. They were popular once. There is no reasoning. It's a weird thing. It is a strange start to a friendship. I I think we just talked for years after that until I was working on another show, and uh, you and I ended up starting Death by DVD like in in a day. It was a pretty quick process that we came up with the whole idea, and it was like yeah, the show you had been on two previous shows. One just kind of out of nowhere collapsed, and then the other one you were starting to. You had one foot out the door already because you were kind of getting uncomfortable with the person you were podcasting with because stranger the whole, danger. Like, the relationship seemed to be kind of like weird and kind of one sided at a certain point that you were doing like 
90% of the work and blah, 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 blah. And they were just, a, I mean, I don't want to talk names and, and be a, you know, libel or anything like that, but they were just a weird fucker. They were a genuinely weird, very strange person that made me very uh, uncomfortable, and we've joked about it a lot, but... You know, I, I feel that I would have ended up in a crawl space or something. Not in a good way, you know, not like being paid by the hour as an exterminator, like dead. I don't know why I needed to clarify that, but. So, the long and short of it is, I saved Hank's life. That's, those are the facts. But yeah, we started in July of 2009. I had just started a new job, and it was my first Friday at that job, and I came home, rushed home, we did the first episode didn't your car of, explode that like same week and you got really like no, acid when we were like trying to come up with the name of the show and all that stuff when we were doing like the legwork on that shit before we actually started uh that's when my radiator blew up on me and then we came up with the name that night i saw the the big burn on my arm when we were discussing all that and i was still somewhat injured after that but like maybe a couple weeks later we did our first episode and it was wildly different with segments and like video reviews and we had like three core movies we're going to talk about an intro that was i know i did a whole thing of breaking down everything that was coming on dvd the next week i think it was called through dead men's eyes and it was like yeah, some bullshit yeah, i don't know <laughs> well at the time that was such un- unknown technology that the word podcast wasn't common vernacular and it was there for lack of better terms it was just called an internet radio show and even trying to describe it to friends and family the best way you could really describe it was a radio show and up until 2019 when we we changed from a, a live format to pre-recorded and how death by dvd is presented to us now a lot of people stopped listening to the show and i would get complaints that well it's not on at this time i liked listening to it which is i felt of always a very inconvenient time we used to record a live show at 11 o'clock at fucking night east coast time uh eastern standard time or whatever and people i guess got used to that and liked the process of hearing it kind of like a live experience and taking the time out of their day which you know, my my answer to them is just listen to it at eight o'clock on friday when it comes out it's pretend just, just download it listen to it it's a podcast it's like any other podcast just do it use your fucking imagination i'm glad that we have actual audio now that's the biggest complaint i got over the years was the, the like the audio is fucking terrible i can't even listen to this it took a long time it took a lot of I mean, not just in general, but I mean, the process of the show from when we started it and how like the first episode, getting back to that, we, we I think Saw 5, that's how old we are, Saw 5 had just come out and we discussed that. So that was the caliber of movies and the type of thing we were discussing, The Lost Boys, Near Dark, which I guess now I'm learning Near Dark is kind of a, a fabled film and hard to get a hold of. So we covered, I would say, more entry-level things in the in the original series, and now we've progressed to... You know, we were straight has. up a horror podcast, and the horror thing, not that it so much got boring, but it got very samey, because there's only so much you can talk about horror films, and we've done repeats uh, over the years of the same movie, and there's not much room to wiggle in a horror podcast, because, I mean, most of these horror, like, horror podcasts are very similar. They end up being... Either and like us, what I think is interesting about our style, especially as of the last few years, is we're kind of in between because most horror podcasts either are a really stuffy and overly informative, where it's just very dry and they talk about just kind of a lot of nonsense facts and 
talking a lot of like more functional matters of camera moves and f-stops we'll talk a little bit about that stuff but anyway or the other end of horror podcasts are either just super edgy and over the top or it's a bunch of people thinking they're funny and or people doing best of the worst type shows where they're just talking about garbage and one of the things that we've decided we kind of decided together is we didn't want to end up being the chris farley show where we just like talk about a movie that we both love endlessly and just talk about why we love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we like to like go between analysis and more of a philosophic analysis of film and like story concepts and also being somewhat, you know, lighthearted and humorous and entertaining at the same time. We are trying to meet in the middle because that's just been my problem with a lot of movie podcasts and horror podcasts is just they're either a really stuck up or b so goddamn like f- trying to be funny it's just i can't stand to listen to them because it's just like i don't what is this or you don't know what the fuck you're talking about that's another big one is just it's a lot of horror podcasts where people are talking about stuff like wow i can't believe i uh I've j- i just watched reanimator and it's great how the fuck are you running a horror podcast and you've never seen shit? So I like to be a little bit informative and also be a little bit interesting and like kind of cheeky at times. I like where we're at now, as far as the podcast goes of our interaction and what we end up talking about, which is important stuff, but also we don't take ourselves too goddamn serious. And touching upon a lot of problems, uh, not just with horror podcasts, but I feel with, Criticism-based things in general. Joe Bob Briggs brings this up a lot, but the internet kind of ruined criticism, especially film criticism, because everyone can do it. And beforehand, yes, everyone could do it also. But the the problem is a lot of the things that you had just kind of pointed out. Do you have anything whatsoever to say aside from proclaiming that you like something or you hate something? And there is an overwhelming amount of negativity. I don't mind so much the positivity. I'll sit and listen to somebody talk about why they like, I'm just going to use Reanimator again. Because, hey, there could be, to, you know, there's, there's positives out of that. I might have noticed something. And you know, this is actually a fucking great example. I was listening to a podcast about Return of the Living Dead the other day. And I never, I, I love that movie and talk mentioning movies we've repeated and done numerous times on this show that's what 14 15 times in 12 years of death by dvd history we've discussed return of the living dead i had no clue the words fuck you are embroidered under the back of tom matthews uh letterman jacket i've seen that movie oh, a yeah. million times never noticed that before and i was just listening to a show about somebody you know talking about why they pretty much liked the movie and learned that little bit of fact but the negativity is where it just is like all right just because you hate something you a lot of the times it's people just going after the director or the actors and have a reason to hate it. Actual, like a thought out response to you. I didn't like it because of this. And if like if your critique holds up, I might not find you to be such an asshole. But when you just endlessly talk about this movie sucked, but on the same hand, especially in horror journalism in the last let's say ten years. It's gotten a little ass kissy and hand jobby to where nobody wants to say anything negative at all about any movie. Everything's really great because the people tried really hard and you don't know how hard of a job it is. Why don't you go at that? Yeah, no, that's the point of why we talk about fucking movies. I know how hard it is. Some things just aren't very good. And I have reasons why I don't think they're very good. And I'm not saying that you suck as a filmmaker and you're terrible. And why, why don't you just fucking stop making movies? It's no, 
here's where you went wrong, according to me as a film enthusiast, what you fucked up and how you could possibly change it like the next time around when you make a movie. Like, here's where your problems lied. That is what criticism is. Inherently being negative and forcing just hate upon people is not so much film criticism, and there's no artistry to that. There's not any work put into it, and you had said you really enjoy where the show's at right now. That's something that I personally take a lot of pride in when it comes to working on Death by DVD and releasing episodes is when we do get feedback and I hear things from people. Even if, like, for example, we did this whole thing called the Shudder Shindig where uh, we picked four Shudder movies, originals, and the whole point was we were, you know, going to kind of do a blowjob ass-kissy show for Shudder and we didn't screen the fucking movies beforehand and it turned out we didn't enjoy any of them. And I, I getting feedback on that show, I was terrified. Oh, my God, this is negative. People are going to hate this because we we didn't care for any of the movies. I was really brutal on The Dark and the Wicked. All positive feedback because we weren't incessantly rude. There was no point in uh, insulting or attacking the people involved. We had valid criticisms. That's literally all it is. And I didn't hate any of them. I didn't, like, I didn't hate any of them, but they all had issues and none of them were really like, this is really good. It was just like, eh, this is okay. This was pretty good. This was crap, but here's why it wasn't very good. We didn't get hyperbolic about shit, but that's criticism, folks. I will say I kind of hated Don't Go in the Fucking Attic. That movie was terrible. That that wasn't fun for me at all. Uh, yeah, I wasn't... It was not a good movie. I, I, but I won't lambast the filmmakers. Yeah, I have nothing against those stupid people. Stupid for making it. It's just like it had a lot of problems, uh, mostly uh, story wise. Just like your script was was bad. That's that's the problem. Your square one was not accomplished competently to, before you started shooting, and most everything else was okay. The way it was filmed. Uh, I mean. Um, a lot of the acting was pretty good and all that. It's just your story was bad. That's the problem. The entire story, that, that's the biggest problem. Wasn't a little bit, wasn't a piece, wasn't a little, you know, can edit this, add something new, whole story. Should have just fucking thrown it away and started over again. Uh, concept's fine. Story was <laughs> fart sounds. Did not enjoy it. Are you ready for a question from, from me? Question. What got you interested in film? Was there like a specific movie that changed everything for you? Or was it, you know, like a, a young loneliness i have nothing to do with watch movie well that's the story of the cable guy i just assumed well there are a few different answers to that questions the first movie i ever got obsessed with was night of the living dead because it made me shit my pants it really freaked me out um but also around that same time um i had just gotten how old was i eight years old at the grocery store, they sold Fangoria magazine and the covers always intrigued me. And occasionally I was allowed to pick one up, uh, take it home. And I got kind of fascinated with the films in Fangoria and the artwork. And here's a fair bit of criticism. I am not calling anyone out, nor am I saying something is terrible or not, but with Fangoria magazine, it's still going today. It's been, uh, reinvented. Um, I genuinely appreciate most of the people working there. But why I don't have an interest in Fangoria magazine now, because I just thought about this the other day and why it just doesn't feel the same way to me, is Fangoria has turned to more of think pieces and um, like film analysis stuff, which is not bad on its own. But what brought me to Fangoria to begin with is it's kind of a lost time period at this point because it was the 1980s and special effects in um, horror films was the big thing. And Fangoria 
extensively covered special effects. So there's a certain amount of magic in the pages of Fangoria of like seeing some special effects and how they were accomplished. Um, just seeing um, stills from movies and making up stories in my own head of what this movie could be. Um, and almost like writing a, a movie in itself for myself, like, you know, just making up an entire film just with the stills. And that's what the magic of Fangoria has lost to me now is just now that everything is special effects of all pretty much been figured out. Uh, everything is CGI or there's not new, too many new magic tricks and practical effects. You can't really print anything like that anymore. And to me, that was the real magic of Fangoria of the like the like the uh, the eighties and the early nineties. But I would say those two contributing factors, Nightling Dead, Fangoria, and from Nightling Dead and you know, going to Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, all that sort of thing, and also seeing stuff like Sleepaway Camp on HBO, setting an alarm to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to watch Return of the Living Dead on HBO, Night Riders at five AM, uh, stuff like that. And that's really because film became kind of a, I wouldn't even call it so much of an escape, but it became a, a reason to mark your calendar because especially in the eighties and nineties, you had to search things out. You couldn't find a copy of Knight Riders at any video store. I mean, they existed, but you know, it just wasn't common out in the wild. So you really had to like check TV guide, see what was coming up on HBO, see, uh, um, I, I drove an hour to a video store to rent a racer head when I was like 13 years old, like a video store way the fuck out. Cause I heard they had a copy of a racer head shit like that. So it became this treasure hunt. And that's what was interesting about film and horror and all of those things is just treasure hunt aspect of it all. And then kind of the magic surrounding that. And I'd say a lot of that magic is gone due to technology. I, I, but again, I'm an old man, so it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter to that all of my hopes and dreams are gone with film. Film is still powerful. It still makes an impact now. It's just different. I'm just kind of sad a lot of that magic is gone, but you cannot hold on to your hopes and dreams forever because I'm no conservative. I understand that sandcastles are meant to like get washed out into the ocean. It's just the way time works. I think to some extent some of the sadness could definitely be felt for the the coming generation of horror fans and current horror fans because a lot of magic is completely lost from that experience and so many of us have very very similar stories where you would hunt down movies or a friend would tell you in class that it's on that video store on the other side of town and you'd make your way out there and rent the movie and lo and behold it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 Leatherface and it fucking sucks and you've spent three weeks <laughs> hunting down this like awful awful movie but you did it and you rented it so you sat there and you watched it there was no 45 minutes of going through streaming to find what you want and then sitting on your phone. You just sat there and you watched it. And if you had friends that were like-minded, which was a bit, for me a big reason that horror was always a, a great comfort because I started meeting people that were like-minded and had a lot of the same interests that I did. And I finally was like, oh, there's a community. This is great, you know, because there, where, where I grew up, there were no film nerds. There wasn't a little group of kids that ran the audiovisual shit in high school it was kind of a, a loner thing. Horror has just become like everything else. All you have to do is turn on whatever your streaming device is and find something to watch. The actual magic and experience of even the excitement when you'd go to a video store and you'd see them taking down the posters and you could talk the guy behind the counter into getting whatever stupid movie they were giving away that you might not have even seen. But it was just the, I got a poster. It was that feeling, that treasure, that 
trophy almost that was the experience itself because for the most part a lot of the movies that i'd say our era of horror fans were raised on aren't particularly good like i came up in a generation of roger corman remakes that hbo or showtime i forget who was putting those out but that was showtime i believe yeah that that was me in my teenage years of excitement of i'm gonna watch teenage cavemen not the original one no, the the really bad almost porn. Is that one. like Larry Clark made that? Was yes, it Larry Clark. Yeah, weird. It's this weird sex comedy, and it's horrible. But those were that. That's what you did. It was Friday night. You knew three of those were going to be playing, so you got pizza and stole your dad's beer and had fun. You you had a, a literally. I mean, you talking about this now has kind of opened up a thought in my head because you had those experiences that were magical that are all connected one way or another, not just to filmmaking, but horror in general. And that's what brought so much joy and so much pleasure. And I feel kind of sad and not in like oh, gatekeeping uh, poor pitiful you way. I just feel sad that that experience is lost upon the generation we're in now and the ones that are coming because horror seems to be alive and well. And it's the, I feel the first time really that massive big budget horror films are coming out left and right and major studios of comp to, you know, we can sell horror. Horror movies are successful. And that experience of just having to hunt them down or going to see them, seeing a movie in a theater, which I think is an extremely important experience in some situations, it's just kind of gone. Let me tell you a little story, a story about the first time I saw all of these films. It was a Friday night. It was a sleepover. And sitting in my living room, a bunch of other kids hanging out. And that night, I saw Highlander, Little Shop of Horrors, and Night of the Living Dead for the first time. All on top of each other, all back to back. Not playing on the same network, mind you. Just like, you know, just basically cruising through TV Guide and finding out when they were all on. They were on one right after another. So seeing those three movies on top of each other is a pretty powerful experience up until dawn. And not only that, I think a lot of what makes horror kind of resonate with a lot of horror fans is the sleepover aspect. You had a sleepover with your friends, especially in the age of video stores. You'd uh, a friend's parents didn't want to fuck with a bunch of kids, so they would take you to the video store and you all get to pick one video out. And you all go to the horror section because you want to like basically kind of put people through the test of what can we watch and what can we not watch. You'd all pick out. So you may even up with three or four movies and considering you didn't have streaming at that point and even close to anything screaming, no internet, no matter what you got, you had to watch. Even if you fast forward through a lot of it, you had to watch it. And there was a certain amount of magic to that. Just renting all these movies and just watching them all back to back to back. And with that magic, I wanted the magic to continue. I wanted that feeling to continue. So even when there weren't sleepovers, that's what I would do. I would like basically have my own sad personal sleepover with just me. And I would rent the same type of movies and just watch them back to back to back. I mean, that's how I first saw heavy metal and faces of death. A lot of quintessential core things that I've grown to, to love on this show. And it is something I feel, especially horror fans chase long into adulthood because I, I'm guilty of still doing that. I'll go out of my way to procure or find three movies that are going to fit together and be perfect and make a night out of it. It's one of the glorious things. And you, Alexander Nash, you run the Twitter and you live tweet The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs every Friday night when when The Last Drive-In is in season, of course. And you said something that was really, really potent that hit me a few weeks ago while I was going through and following what was happening. And it's the fact that all of us are kind of having a sleepover again with that experience. Everyone's gathering. We know all over North America and 
I think England too, maybe. There are all sometimes Canada, depending. Occasionally, there are people that are in one room eating pizza, wings, drinking beer, all watching this together and experiencing this glory together, and it's like this uh, wonderfully meta, amazing sleepover. And you just chase it. It's something that you you know. It's like a drug. You don't want that to ever go away. To where to where it almost feels hopeless when you can't catch it anymore it just almost is defeating sometimes and i guess that again brings me back to why i feeling kind of sad for this new generation of horror fans it, it, you have things like the last drive and there are plenty of other cool horror hosts like Sven Gulli. you just don't get the same feeling of coming back from the video store talking someone's parent into renting something you definitely know you shouldn't have gotten like the first time i saw night of the living dead I had rented it, and I remember the guy saying to my dad, are you sure you want to let him watch this? And I was way too young to have seen something like that. And I thought the TV was broken because it was in black and white. I had no concept of what I was about to get into. And that feeling itself of, oh, this is going to suck. This is some lame old black and white movie. And then having to turn on the lights and lock the doors, check every single shadow, absolutely terrified that ghoulish flesh eaters were somewhere roaming around preparing to eat me. That itself is amazing. And... You just don't feel it that often anymore. Sad. This I didn't expect this to take a sad turn. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to something like The Last Drive, and that's why that show can be somewhat powerful. There is a certain amount of nostalgia behind it, but not only that, not just nostalgia for something like uh, Monster Vision or Joe Bob's uh, movie channel show, but just nostalgia for a group of people to sit around and all experience kind of the same thing and all watch a movie for the first time. For some of the, for some of them, uh, all watch it together and kind of see the reactions and all play off each other's reactions. Listen to people's one-liners and jokes and they're riffing on it, and it's just this communal experience and that's very powerful. And when we lose that and we have lost that over the years because streaming, you can just pick whatever, whenever, and movies just get dumped. Uh, things don't get advertised well, and it's just all up to you to find what you are going to watch. And Hank will sit there and text me sometimes, hey, I'm watching this on Tubi or whatever. I'm like, what the fuck are you even talking about? And it's some rando-ass movie I've never fucking heard of. And it's not like, this isn't like big shit. This is like Tubi stuff. It's just like weird found footage stuff. And you're like, yeah, "Eh, this one was pretty shitty, but this one was okay. And just, but like back in the day, there was only so many films you could get to. There were so many only so many like videos that you could rent or so there was a certain amount of uh, communal energy behind them where a lot of people had seen them or if you maybe not a lot of people seen them. So it was like a secret club sort of situation. But with streaming, it's just so sporadic and spread out everywhere that it's just hard to really kind of get together. So I think that's also why Twitter kind of harps on certain movies because Currently, uh, Twitter is all about Werewolves Within, which I haven't seen. I'll probably watch it at some point. But if I am to believe the hype around that movie, it's the greatest horror comedy that's come out since American Werewolf in London. Not saying it isn't, not saying it is. What I'm saying is nobody's giving anyone a lot of information about any of this. It's just like, I really liked it. And everybody's just saying, I really liked it. Could just any like, of so- you guys tell me why, though? One of you, possibly why. What's it about? Is it acted well? Is it written well? Is it pretty? Does it have it's funny. fun colors? That's just kind of where I'm at on it. It's just like, but why is it? But it just seems like all the new things, all the new big horror things, like A Quiet, pa- 
Place 2, no one talked about because that's some big budget studio stuff. But anything that's basically somewhat direct to VOD but has kind of been mentioned on many of the numerous horror websites, it's just like, no, everybody's going to rally behind it because it's kind of an indie and it's important this does well. well. That's great and all, but is it good? And not many people can answer that question other than, yeah, it was good. Why is it good? Well, it's good, and we really need to support this filmmaker. And it's just, I don't... For There's just this cycle over and over again of about two weeks that we're going to pop this movie, we're going to pop... And half these movies I haven't seen, some of them I have. Like, for a while there, it was Freaky. For a while, it was uh, Werewolves Within. Uh, that Fear Street 1994 is getting major pops. And nobody's saying why they like it. But a lot of these people are also 90s horror kids. And I'm my views are going to differ a lot from them as well. So. Almost all of this is a matter of nostalgia when you sit down and listen to the reviews or read them, which is rare these days. It's all, uh, I just grew up in this era and I really liked it. And that's why. I, and that's fine. That's very justifiable. It's and fine. I, but yeah, it's, there's got to be more. I'm, I'm trying to shit on anybody, but it's just like. What else? Nobody can tell me anything about any of this stuff, and everybody's like so incestuous with everybody else that no one wants to say a bad thing about anybody else. So it's just. It's hard to really get honest opinions about films from a lot of people. That's why we try to be as honest as possible with what our feelings are about a movie. Uh, conceptually, to me, when I find a movie that either we're going to discuss or I'm going to take a stab at it, pun intended. My whole goal and concept is to look at the art and kind of get past the point that, yes, this is a movie. And it, like, it doesn't matter if it's an independent production or it's a major fucking studio. It doesn't matter if it's an Academy Award winner or a movie that has just come out. I just want to look at the art and the concepts behind it. And I like to look at how things are made. That's very important to me because the ingenuity and the craftsmanship and knowing how hard it is, I do take into account. And I always try to say that i always try to make a point of you know this was hard to do i understand that but just because something's really really hard to do if the ending product still kind of sucks something has to be called out i mean if you went and bought a new cup and there was a big hole in it and then they stand there and they tell you at the cup store well yeah you don't know how hard jerry worked on this though he has a kiln in the back and he did it by hand and it's got a hole in it but it took him like 12 hours to do it you still would be like fuck off i, ne I need a cup that doesn't have a hole in it there's a whole process behind things to what makes the the subject art and i'm not any person or have any authority to say something is or isn't art but when you're trying to look at that when you're trying to break things down and just look at well you know the a bunch of artists got together and they made that if it's not there it's not there there's nothing i can do about it outside of say i didn't feel that was there and that's a problem to me well it's it's like somebody telling me but but uh, the last 10 days of this shoot crash service, uh, food poisoned everybody. So the last 20 minutes of the movie, um, everybody had food poisoning. So that's why it's a little bit janky there. It's just like it it doesn't matter. And fucking 40, 50, 60 years, the people who made this movie will be dead and no one will be telling the story about food poisoning. So it doesn't matter. This stuff is forever. It lives forever. You can't just say, well, we had a rough day on the set, so that's why our movie sucks. It doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't. I suck. I'm sorry. I'm, that really sucks for you and I all. I sympathize. But your movie still uh, like is flawed because of it, and it will be flawed 70 years down the line, and people will still see that flaw, and nobody will care that you got food poisoning. But that's going to be lost like tears and rain. 
And it's, I guess, the whole point of where we're at right now, the generation we're in, is you either have heart or you don't. I mean, you you are in a massive community of people where there's so many different genres. There's so many things that you can find now. There's so many boutique labels where you can find movies that were previously lost or never released before that it's almost cold. There's there's so much available. There's so much out there that when you try to fit in, when you try to become a part of whatever clique you're into, it's there's just so many people into the same thing as you now. Individualism is kind of hard. And it's not a bad thing, but... Join a Severin fan group on Facebook and say that you don't care for a movie and watch 80 people hurl the, the nastiest insults that you've ever gotten in your life at you. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Yeah, I don't get that end of it either. There's the overly hand jobby aspect and then there's the overly like fucking sanctimonious about fucking something like, I don't know, like some of the shit that Vinegar Syndrome puts out is like, it's a bad movie. It's fine. There are movies that I like, that I liked especially as a kid. Like uh, a couple of days ago, I watched um, Saturday the 14th Strikes Back. It's a terrible horror comedy um, that Roger Corman produced in the late 80s, the sequel to Saturday the 14th. And that movie is objectively a piece of shit. It's garbage. The jokes don't work. Uh, the story is incomprehensible in a lot of ways. Uh, the special effects are bad. It's kind of just a really cheap put together horror comedy. I still love it because I saw it a million times on HBO when I was a kid. I love that movie. But if somebody else says this movie is complete shit, I would go, yeah, you're right. I still love it for these reasons, though. That's what I don't understand about, like, say, like a Severin Facebook group to where it's just like, yeah, I just don't like it. Well, that's fine. I really do love it, though. I don't understand being sanctimonious about certain things when it's just like, this obviously has problems. Anthropophagus has a lot of fucking problems. There's no way to be amicable anymore. It's You definitely have to agree. Or, well, do you even like these movies? Fuck off. Yeah, I do, but that doesn't mean they're good. <laughs> and that's a hard thing, especially with doing a show like this. I mean, we talk about a lot of movies. And not like the video nasty. Some of them are completely random to us that we haven't seen in 20 years. Not all of them are good. I, I don't think Gestapo's Last Orgy is what you particularly would say is a good movie. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed doing the show. I don't know if I'll see it again in another 20 years. I own a copy of it, too. I, I, I bought it for that reason from, I think it's Intervision, but it's, it's David Gregory regardless. It's not a matter of... A love or hate thing. I had a necessity for it, and like you were discussing earlier, it is art. It is forever. It does technically at this point something like Gestapo's Last Orgy, for example, has even historical purposes, whether they're important or not. I can't answer. It doesn't particularly matter if you have an interest in something. Which, assuming everybody has one thing in common, and it's a, a, a love or interest in film in general. Why would you just want to berate somebody that you know has a common interest in you? Wouldn't you just want to talk to them and find out their opinion on it and just let things go because it's the internet and nothing actually really matters regardless? I mean, it's not a lesson of futility here, but still. I mean, we're talking about trolls and bullies on the internet like anything is going to be profound or come from it different, but it's <laughs> like... 
it's just it's and I, but it is expressing it. I know a lot of other horror fans and friends that I have uh, have the same problems and feel alienated and feel the same way when they get on Twitter, when they get on Facebook, and uh, independent artists and filmmakers that are just trying to get acknowledged out there end up just getting completely buried by either the negativity or the overwhelming positivity or the clickish nature of. Well, if you don't run with these five people and talk with these five people and nobody's going to listen to your thing and every single scene has a, you know, it's like cheerleaders. And I'm not saying there are specific people in the horror world that are cheerleaders, but they're just clicks and you don't fit in because you don't like a Jess Franco movie and 30 people in a group now remember your name is uh, that asshole that doesn't like Jess Franco. Fuck him. And every group you join, somebody has to call you an asshole now. That's just awful. It's even talking about it's like it sucks. It seems to be particularly in, you know, the hardcore horror trading and videotape collecting scene where it's just and it's the same goons that ran the the video store back in the 90s that would yell at you to get out or make fun of you for not knowing the name of a movie or something like that. So it's just they've progressed and gotten basements and internet access. Well, all right. All right. All right. Before the next question, I think it's time for another wild round of Keith David or David Keith. That's correct, Hank. It is, in fact, Keith David O'Clock. Or is it David Keith O'Clock? We'll find out soon. In the 2001 science fiction movie Epoch, directed by Matt Codd, a movie about major seismic events occurring all over the globe, Scientist Casey Sizzaban and soldier Mason Rand are recruited to look into the cause of the disaster-triggering phenomena. Deep within the Himalayas, Sizzaban and Rand find an alien monolith with remarkable abilities including creating and ending life with incredible speed, and they must determine how to contend with its strange and powerful presence before the world is destroyed. Who plays the soldier Mason Rand? Is it Keith David? Or is it David Keith? Well, force feed me bananas until I turn yellow, it's David Keith. Thanks for playing another pickle-ticklingly good round of Keith David or David Keith. Until next time, goodbye and good luck. Now back to Death by DVD. Oh, and by the way, happy birthday, fellas. All right. Next question, which is a question that I actually have an answer for, and Hank will, I'm sure, elaborate some after I give my version. Why does Hank only do solo shows and there's not a bunch of, you know, there's no Nash solo shows? That is a two-pronged answer. One is I have have a one-year-old running around my house and you may also I, hear her in the background a little bit yeah, you might episode. be hearing her currently and i don't really always have the time i've got a lot of different responsibilities in life as well as not a lot of time on my hands to do certain things also uh there becomes problems with editing and a lot of different things that's answer one 
answer two is Hank has certain things that he really wants to get off his chest as far as a solo show goes. And when he wants to like really get into it, he really wants to get into it. And there's really no place for me on those shows because Hank will be able to talk about this for two to three to four solid hours and do tons of research and do like, and get really excited about all these things. And like, that's, what's great about him doing those solo shows. Cause you can get this kind of these kind of a different perspective where it's not just us bowing back and forth. You can see somebody's, intense passion for like a certain piece of subject matter uh through like his his pretty much his his opinion and it's not like you know i don't don't question it or get involved in that and he does a good job at it because good christ i don't know how anybody can release a three-part patty hearst fucking series of podcasts but he managed to do it i have no idea how that got so long-winded and how it happened because you had to go into the history of it before you even talked about the movie and that was a full episode i think people just need to look at it as kind of like this is like the solo shows are kind of like i don't mean this in like it's boring but it's like going to school you're going to learn a lot of new information because he's going to do a shit ton of research and just like a mile a minute rattle all these fucking facts out and like I don't know if I have a place in that. That's for Hank to do, and he's really good at it. Well, this also will answer a question we got from our website. A fan sent this question in. What happened to Death by DVD Classics? So it got to a point where Alexander Nash had a child and couldn't do a few episodes, and that was that was the option of what we had been doing previously. Let's take a week off, and I'll throw out a Death by DVD Classic. And going through them, editing them, trying to clear up, in some cases, 10-year-old audio that just was terribly recorded, um, by no means any any form of professionalism in the recording, is beyond exhausting. And a lot of them, to be honest, just weren't aren't worth salvaging. Some of the things we've been discussing, we definitely can be guilty of in our past, where a lot of shows were like, yeah, I like Near Dark. It's a good movie. Bill Paxton's great. He's terrific. I really we had like a lot guy. of shows where, like, I really love this movie, which means I have fucking nothing to say about it. And that still happens. We, I think I said this to you a few weeks ago. I don't even remember what it was. We went to go do a show, and uh, right at the beginning, I was like, I have nothing to say. I, I, I love this movie, and that's the problem. I just like the movie. If I like something, it makes it twice as difficult for me. But as I, uh, time progressed and going through things, you know, there were a couple classics that I thought were really important, like the Chaz Ballon one. I wanted to get that back out there because before deep red came back what we have now the the new fantacode deep red we got greg goodsell uh, steven Bissett, the steve Bissett, and roy frumkeys and they came and they did a show celebrating the life of Chaz, i believe on the one year anniversary of his death and that was really important to me that was a really great moment i feel in our history and just an achievement in general getting to share the microphone so to say with those gentlemen so that one i think was the last time i really put forth the, the effort to clean up the audio and try and make something. And it, it's not so much that it's exhausting. They just don't sound good. And I I was like, all right, well, Nash can't do a show. What do we do here? And, I God, I think it was The Swimmer, which was like the first time it was a two-hour long epic thing, a Burt Lancaster film that Grindhouse Releasing put out. I think it's out of print now, unfortunately. And it was just one of those kind of phenomenons where I sat down and had watched the movie. I, I didn't particularly have an agenda or something to say. And... 
it's not so much just even research for the show. When I find a, a movie interesting or I like it, I'm, I just end up researching it. And I want to learn how it was produced and how it came together, and it just kind of... You go fucking nuts is the correct yeah, answer. I, it really is. I mean, I've said this a lot, but film is my favorite form of art, and I'm really passionate about it, I, and I love learning. I think that's my favorite thing when it comes to being a film fan is there's no way to stop learning any single direction that you look at you can learn something, and it's always fascinating to me. I don't know where the knowledge goes or what it's good for aside from this show, but the fact that people enjoy it, you know, that's that's whatever. That's all I can say. If, if you're out there and you enjoy it, awesome. You know, if not, stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> so another question for me. All right, here here's a, an ultimate one. I've answered this for you on last year's show to where I believe it was a very incorrect answer. But aside from George A. Romero, do you have anything that you could call your favorite movie? Loaded question, because I don't think favorite movies exist because so many things can be a favorite movie is the problem. You have the original trilogy of Living Dead films, which are some of my favorite movies. How I love like almost like a good chunk of George Romero movies could be described as my favorite movie. Um, I just I'm just not a big fan of that question because like a lot of people and like ask that over and over again and the answer just changes and we were talking a little bit before the show and hank kind of had a really nice answer to this because to him he said it was seasonal um it just kind of goes with the with the time and sometimes yeah this time of the year i kind of i'm really a big fan of this film or i haven't seen um videodrome in four or five years and i'll watch it again and go god damn this is a good movie and that's the problem with like film. I, I just I think putting a like a list together of one, two, three, four, and five is not great when you're talking about of all times of a year like of 2019. I don't have a problem with it because I can kind of ratchet those down to a pretty concise list of things. But of all time, you're talking about literally thousands of different movies throughout the years, and they all have different meanings at different time periods in your life and different emotional states you're going through for a while there fucking SLC punk was my favorite movie. So, I mean, it just changes with time. So I just don't like that. like to hammer that down. But if I have to a answer it, I would just say George Romero living dead films. <laughs> Romero aside got brushed by, but yeah, I knew that's, I said that last time. And then I think I said, Glenn, Too Gary, bad. Glenn, <laughs> Gary, Glenn Ross, I think was my last, I said last year. It's up there. It's up. Yeah. I have the weirdest kind of answer for this though. Like I, I, you already have kind of given mine the whole seasonal thing, but the, when like favorite movie, if I had any movie, if I had to sit down and watch it two or three times in a row, or if I was at somebody's house and Hey, do you want to watch this favorite movie? I on, honestly, it's a strange answer. Fucking terror vision. I love that movie. I love everything about that movie. <laughs> Fucking left field. Exactly. Paris, Texas, Le Cirque de Rouge, all these weird movies I bring up and all this art shit I talk about. Nope. Terrorvision. Any day of the week. And it's. I watched it the night before I came to visit you. And I think we watched it the first, like, second I was there. And it was, nope, nope. Watched it like eight hours ago. Love this movie. I will sit through it any day of the week. I love Terrorvision. And it also goes, it doesn't even really go back to. I had a thing for it as a kid. I don't even remember the first time I saw that movie. I just remember when I saw it, it was like, yeah, that's <laughs> everything about this is absolutely hysterical. And I cherish it for what it is. We have a long running commercial on this show. Unky Hank's lizard tail jerky. That's a terror vision thing. It's the you know, self-sustaining treat for you and me to eat because 
the uh, crazy grandpa with the lizard tail thing. Absolutely hysterical. Anki Hank's Lizard Tail Jerky. The self-sustaining treat for you and me to eat. Ranch, bacon, jalapeno, iguana. We got all the exotic flavors. Cranch, that's ketchup and ranch. Unky Hank's Lizard Tail Jerky. Yeah, television I saw on, uh, it was cable television and it played i think it started at midnight and ran until two and it was a tv edit a lot of the movies i've seen over the years i first experienced them through tv edits one really specific place i really i didn't think about it for a long time but the usa network really exposed me to a lot of different things because i had completely yeah. forgotten about um usa um, was it saturday night nightmares or saturday nightmares um and it was seven o'clock on usa for like Seven, eight years, they would play a horror film, and rando horror films at that. Was that the one that Penn and Teller hosted? No, they didn't have a host. It just had kind of like, almost like a Tales from the Dark Side uh, opening thing with just a narrator voice, and it really didn't have like any interstitials in between or anything. There was no real host. But that was the first time I saw Basket Case, for God's sakes. That was the first time I saw, like, Cue the Winged Serpent. And this was, like, randomly. It wasn't ever... I would look at the TV guide and see what was playing or any of that stuff. It was just like, turn on USA, see what they're playing. Motel hell. All right, I'll watch whatever this is. And you just had your socks knocked off time and time and time again just because they would just show so much weird stuff that I had no reference to. And when that happens to you, when you're just randomly exposed to it, it just makes it so much sweeter to where it's just, I don't know what this is. I'm not planning on anything. And then basket case comes on. It's just like, well, shit, this thing is fucking crazy. And that takes us kind of back to that whole idea of the magical feeling of discovering some of these movies that's completely lost because I mean, cables still exist, but you're not going to discover anything new. I'm a big fan of a channel called Comet TV and I use that to watch quantum leap. I'm not discovering anything magical and you know now that i think of it wasn't it's monster vision was penn and teller's show they were the original hosts of monster vision weren't they and then it was joe May, i know penn and teller or penn not so much teller did a lot of um i remember he did comedy central like narration like he yeah, would back be, when do it was all the, the comedy, ads for comedy central and he might they might have i don't remember because i never had tnt i never got to watch monster vision i got to watch uh the uh movie channel joe bob show but i never had tnt until after Monster Vision was over, basically. It was like the fucking like 2000 before my cable package uh, allowed TNT. So it was just like, oh, I got no Monster Vision. I have very solid, firm memories of being a child, and I had a, 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 a Batmobile tent. It was the original Adam West-style Batmobile. It was red and green and crazy looking. And my mom used to set it in front of, we had a big old cathode TV, and she would set it up in front of that. And so I remember distinctly as a very young child watching it was, um, oh, th th this shows how much of a fucking horror fan I am. What's the Jason movie where she gets stuck on the bridge in the van? It was whatever that one was, and I remember- It was the, the third one, you dick. The third one, yeah. <laughs> this guy hosts a no, fucking horror fucking podcast. No, your fucking Friday 13th movies. God, yeah, tr try me with any other series aside from, like, Phantasm and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I will, I'll call them fucking Jason movies to your face. Fight me. I'll do it just to piss off hardcore horror fans, too. Who's fucking asshole calls them Jason movies? 
Yeah, uh, I re- <laughs> I remember watching like I mean, and I remember Joe Bob. I, I and it's funny as a child, I just remember begging like God, I wish this guy would shut up and they'd go back to the movie. And now as an adult, I cherish and it's completely opposite. I wish they'd cut the movie down a little bit so we could get back to Joe Bob talking more. And it's that's something there we got we went through a little bit of a negative patch talking about the current world of horror but returning to to joe bob briggs he really does him and darcy it's not just joe bob he does a lot of the work but darcy really is a massive part of horror everything that is happening with the show and then being able to travel and her digging up these old i mean more than just that it's all her she is the the person behind the the last drive-in pretty much she really gets a lot of jobs done but it's it, it really is an experience to kind of have again and it's it's such a faint strange thing remembering being exposed to horror and falling in love with it and having Joe Bob to kind of rekindle it for you that it is the opposition. I cherish when he comes on to talk rather than watch the movie because nine times out of ten, I've I've seen whatever he's showing a yeah, lot. It's, it's probably about nine, nine and a half times. <laughs> sure wish I me. hadn't watched Dead and Buried two times in a row on Thursday before he fucking played it. That was rough, man. That's the only time I've not had fun at the last drive-in because for some stupid-ass reason, I watched Dead and Buried and was like, I, I want to watch that again. I really, I got to look at that again. I've learned <laughs> not to um, watch anything on Shudder I didn't for those sure. like three I, months that <laughs> I saw the disc just, on my show. Don't watch anything. Yeah, I was like, oh, dead and buried. This sounds great. I'm gonna throw that in. I I, I fucking played myself with that. It was terrible. <laughs> I do avoid Shutter. It is one of the curses of loving the last drive-in. Is is I will not use the network until Friday comes along, and then I I have so many subsidiary networks that get the same movies that are on Shutter, and I'll be surfing through, and it's like, oh, that looks good. No horror, none whatsoever. This is, and you can tell when it happens on the show because the solo shows will be not horror movies. It'll be about fucking Christine Chubbuck for three weeks because <laughs> I can't watch anything because Joe Bob might do it. It's terrible. Just having something like that back, like as you were saying with Darcy just a second ago, I think the reason she's become such an integral part to it is because she does handle the social media during it. And her, um, whoever's tweeting for Shudder, a couple other people who are really like managing it, retweeting people, like basically making people feel like they belong in that community and yeah, kind of heard. just interacting with each other that it's just kind of, it's, it's that sleepover feeling again. It makes it makes me like have something to do on a Friday night that feels special. That isn't just another day of the week. And it doesn't to me feel just like another dumb saying mutant fam. It actually feels like you're a part of something. It feels like there are people, if you went out there and, and tweeted, you know, I, I'm depressed, I'm in need, and hashtag mutant fam, that would step in and just talk to you. Darcy, one of them. That it, it is a, it is one of the positives. We've talked about a lot of the negatives in the horror community and the horror scene, if you want to call it something like that. But the overwhelming massive positive really is the mutant family, Joe Bob and Darcy. It is a shining light, and I think it is one of the most purest things we have. And it's so funny to me when people complain and get mad about Joe Bob, and I don't mean anything politically, I mean about what he does on the show and showing foreign movies, stuff like that. This is, we used to say this about Romero, anything that Joe Bob does is a gift, and you should be appreciative and happy that we have it. We lived in an era that it didn't matter what Romero made, and largely the end of his career, this is the strongest sentiment you need to have when you go into it. You You felt lucky to see it. I don't care how shitty Land of the Dead actually is. I felt lucky to see it. When I watch it now, I remember standing in line in theater to see it and the excitement that was building to 
That that was my first Romero movie in theaters, man. I was so stoked. I was so blown away just because I got to see a George Romero movie in theaters after years of worshiping at the Temple of Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and the, the whole series, you know. So it was it was pure, it was beautiful. And it, it pure I think is a really good term because that's how it feels on Friday nights when I sing the fucking theme every single time, always make something big to eat, I always like to get some sort of beer brewed in Texas and make a big night out of it, it's pure, Joe Bob rules, Darcy rules, this this show just turned into a huge PSA for how great the Shudder Network is after we did that Shudder shindig, we're sorry guys, (laughs) hold on, hold on, does anybody got a towel, I gotta clean this all off my face, yeah, oops, I got a little messy, (laughs) What's the next question? Oh, no. There, there's a few I can just shoot out at the end that have simple answers. Um, like one of them, for example, is, I know Hank has been in two movies. Where can I find them? One is not out yet. It'll be out soon. Dark Tales from Channel X, Massgrave Pictures, Manny and Lindsay Serrano directed that. It'll, it's, it's done. It's coming. It'll be out soon. And then you can get, maybe, I'm not sure, Opening the Mind. Michael Maggot did that. I believe his website is Films That Kill. Type in Michael Maggot. You'll see it in the web store. If you don't, it's out of print, and I'm very sorry. That was a quick one. I'll I'll ask you a a philosophical one. Well, I don't even know why I fucking said that. A theoretical. Man is an island. (laughs) I guess theoretical is what I meant. If you could remake any film at all, it doesn't have to be horror, any budget, million dollars, living living or dead actors. Living dead actors would be cool, though. (laughs) What would you do? Probably a couple answers to that one. I have... I know one of them. Well, I've written like a Hellraiser TV show in my head for like years and years and years of how easily you could do it as like an HBO TV show and just use the original Hellbound Heart story to do that. That book could be turned into like 10 episodes of a uh, made for pay cable, super perverse, super highly, highly sexual kind of thing and use generally the exact same story. It's just how you kind of break the sections up, and you could do it, but I already know that they're doing that currently right now, and we'll see if that's going to be interesting at all, possibly, but I think for the most part, Hellraiser is a dead property, unless somebody really exciting gets a hold of it and does something super interesting. The problem is they keep trying to lean into like kind of slasher nonsense and like hell tropes and stuff. No! Sex. Hellraiser is about sex. Sex and pain. That's all you have to make it about. Stop trying to make it about like philosophic nonsense. Sex and pain. Yeah, part it is. three and onward with the series already, it becomes incidental. And when that is the incidental aspect of the movie, it's just baffling. There's no point in it continuing. And like the last three are dismal. Not even including the the remakes or the ones that Doug Bradley's not in. I mean, the last core of the actual Hellraiser series. I have a hard time even sitting through those. Well, they get so hung up on trying to expand, like the mythos, which there's no like expansion necessary. You it's open the box and a bunch of fucking sadomasochistic like demon style characters who like come out when you play with a box and they like kind of fuck you and kill you in painful ways. And it's all very pleasurable to the people. So that's 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 it. That's what the story is. Yeah, I I, I constantly find myself sitting and, and thinking of this question of if I could do absolutely anything, what would I do? And years ago, you had mentioned to me that you wanted to do it. If you could do a Dr. Fibes remake with Jeremy Irons. Oh, 
I completely forgot. I've rewritten a lot of movies. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just something you do when you accidentally maybe smoke a little bit too much of the devil's lettuce, and you're just sitting there phasing out into space. And I've never been able to get that concept out of my head, though, of Jeremy Irons starring in a Dr. Fibes remake. It would be devastatingly beautiful. And I, I heard at one point they were going to do it with Johnny Depp, which does sound a little enticing. It does. I mean, if he's actually going to act, if he's not just going to no. show up kind of fucked up. Here's the problem I have with that. It's Dark Shadows all over again. It's Johnny Depp doing it super arch. It doesn't need to be super arch. It needs to be super, like, yes, artfully done, yes. Uh, with a sense of humor, yes. But not Johnny Depp's goofball mugging. Like, Jeremy Irons doing, like, Dungeons and Dragons, hamming it up craziness. That's what it needs, not, like, Fucking sexy mascara man in his 60s. If I had a, a, a huge budget, if I had all the money in the world and I could remake absolutely anything I, I want, the question just spirals completely out of control. But I always end up coming back to one movie, and it's ludicrous and pointless to remake. There's no reason for this movie to be remade whatsoever. But if I could, I, I would do The Wild Bunch, man. What a story to retell. What a graphic, awful, awful, dismal story. Didn't they story. just remake that? So is, is the, was The Wild Bunch remade already? It's either that or The Magnificent Seven. It's got Chris Pratt in it. And I hope it, it... How could Chris Pratt be in The Wild Bunch? This is frightening. Fuck if I know, dude. Look how informed we are. This is This is a movie podcast. The Wild Bunch 2022. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Wow, you guys are about to get some goddamn emotion. Mel fucking Gibson? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, bullshit. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Now, this was just theoretical, goddamn it, and it's got Peter fucking Dinklage in it? What? How does he fit into the Wild Bunch? This is crazy. Fastbender? They remade The Magnificent Seven in 2016 with Chris Pratt. fucking dick. This is crazy. Jamie Foxx. Well, Will Smith was going to be in it, and they thankfully fucking replaced him with Jamie Foxx. I'm sorry. I don't care for Will Smith films at all. This, what the fuck? I was going to say The Wild Bunch, but no, it's, I wanted to do it with the million dollars, and Michael Fassbender has no place being in The Wild Bunch, but he does kind of look like, oh my God, he's got to be playing Borgnine, who masturbates a lot. On our couch today, we're going to talk to you in the after the show show, but real quickly, you're 91 years old. You look fantastic. You look like you're in your late 60s. What's the secret? I masturbate a lot. I masturbate a lot. I masturbate a lot. I masturbate a lot. Okay, I think. I masturbate a lot. Because he does kind of look like him if he got fat. Michael Fat Fat Bender? Oh, fuck. Man, I am pissed as shit. I don't even care about the fucking questions anymore. Somebody actually has the audacity. Mel Gibson of all somebody. This cocksucker. <laughs> I gotta edit a lot of this out, but holy shit. This, ladies and gentlemen, also, if you ever wondered what the process of how we come up with shows it's incredibly similar to this it's just chaotic it's 2 a.m four to five to 12 pages of text messages of hank finding out new information <laughs> and like what wake up 12 texts 
Man, wild bunch. What the fuck? Yeah, no, usually this would be something that happens in the middle of the night as I hypothetically answer this question that if I could, and I love that I pretensed it with there's no reason to ever remake this. There's no point, and it's perfect as it is. And a Michael Fassbender, Peter Dinklage, Jamie Foxx remake. Wow, I'm, I'm left speechless with this, and at this point my one firm statement is Mel Gibson is the Antichrist. I could, uh... I, I like for years was like, oh, you could really like remake Tourist Trap and it could be interesting. And then they remade Tourist Trap as House of Wax and it wasn't very good because that is not a House of Wax remake. That is a Tourist Trap remake. Everything becomes bland at some point with like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for example. The movie continuously is remade or sequels are added on and it's just unnecessary reimagining. And at some extents, I know this argument isn't a, a very well-placed one with most horror fans. I feel if you're going to do a remake, it's got to just, you've got to be remaking the movie. And Argento has a pretty clear statement about that, too, that if you're going to remake a movie, the only reason of doing it is to be literally remaking the movie. Doing anything else, you're now just making your own thing, and it's essentially pointless. There's no reason to add on to an already done story. And I confirm with that, and I love the concepts when you get a remake, like... The Omen. I really enjoyed what happened with that. It's the same fucking movie, and it was updated. Cool. I'm. I, if you have to do it, which I don't feel there's a reason to remake movies, but go go for that. I mean, there is a reason. There's there's like funny games. The exact same. It's director. called John Carpenter wants a check. Hey John, I hear uh I hear they're remaking The Fog. Uh really? Um, do they have a check for me? That's. Pretty much what John Carpenter will say about any remakes of any of his films. Uh, check. Well, in some situations, a director gets a second stab at doing their project, like Funny Games. It's the same director, same crew. He wrote it again and was just given the opportunity. I kind of like the remake. I like it more than the original, I think. I, I don't know the story exactly, but it was going to be remade regardless, and he managed to just get the job. And it's the same story, but I do think the casting with the remake is really what makes it spectacular and makes the movie... It's I one I don't feel one could be better than the other because it's the exact same thing, but it's like listening to a remastered record uh, that you've loved for years, and suddenly you hear something you hadn't heard before. I think one is more enjoyable than the other, and then you have really fantastical things like The Fly and The Thing and The Blob, all the the movies, very beloved. I think The Thing is much more successful than Thing from Another World or the novel that came before that. That is almost against what Dario Argento said and what I just said I believed in, though. I mean, it really, is it so much a remake of The Thing from Another World, or is it John Carpenter's own thing? But maybe that's why it's called John Carpenter's The Thing. Hey, I got somewhere with that. I, I went through a whole maze and came out at the end, and it's like, oh yeah, that's why they called the movie that. Fuck me. Well, the only reason to really remake something is if you feel like you could improve on it any. And I, I can go either way on a lot of this. I can enjoy certain remakes that are fairly similar to the original. So I can also enjoy some remakes uh, like Suspiria that are like kind of in spirit, or like a remake, but honestly just kind of like a completely different thing using story elements from the, the original. Um, although I do think it's crazy when people say the remake of Suspiria is better than the original. Eh, you're pushing in on that one. Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't care for the remake of Suspiria, and I'm pretty sure I, I shared that sentiment. It was good, it's just really different. Oh, well, and that's my thing, is I, you get lumped in with, oh, you didn't like it because you're a traditionalist and blah, blah, blah. No, 
not not it's the reason. It's kind of long and boring is yeah. kind of what the issue is. It has absolutely nothing to do that it's a remake of Suspiria, which if you listen to this show, Dario Argento is not incredibly close to my heart. I like the guy. I like his movies, but I don't worship him as a god. I'm not obsessed with him. He's a filmmaker who I, I like, you know. So it's not incredibly important to me. Didn't enjoy the experience I had watching the movie. It was bland, and that's all I can say. You know, what What do you want? It has, and it just takes us back to the beginning of the show. Having an opinion and something to say. If you don't like it, why do you listen to it? If you don't like what you're watching, stop watching it. It's that simple, right? Maybe? I, don't I, know. I always will go back to my original answer for the Suspiria remake. Yeah, they already did. It was called Neon Demon. It was great. Which also is the name of, I believe, the show we did about the Suspiria remake. And, I mean, if we're getting toward a place to end here, all we can do is tell the audience to watch the Neon Demon. It's a good movie. <laughs> it's great. It was one of my favorite movies that year. Nicholas Winding Refn. He's up his ass. I mean, we, I think, talked about that, too. Very. It's, you gotta look at everything, and not everything is meant to be insulting. He's up his ass. I like the guy still. Lloyd Kaufman's kind of a dick. I love the guy. I cherish him. Joe Bob, he can be kind of a dick sometimes. It's not insulting. But what I do hope is taken as an insult is the fact that Mel Gibson is a son of a bitch who will burn eternally in hell, and I hope the fucking ghost of Sam Peckinpah comes back and haunts him to the point that he goes utterly insane. Mother. Can you imagine a a cocaine-fueled ghost, like, uh, really giving you shit while you're remaking a movie? (laughs) Now, that itself is a story that we should write down, the Death by DVD movie. Yeah, fuck The coked-up ghost of Sam Peckaball comes into the trailer and says, Mel, what the fuck are you doing, you goddamn anti-Semite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, I feel it would be like that. I can't get over this. Fucking son of a son of a bitch. Mother, motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, well, that's the Death by DVD birthday show. I don't know how exciting it was. I mean, we've got a couple here. Maybe I can go through. Well, this one's good. This is also called a placeholder. Yeah, we just just a few that came in through the website. Do Nash and Hank watch the movies they review together? No, we actually do not live relatively close whatsoever. We live thousands of miles away, actually. Yeah, all of this is done via computers. And sometimes I usually, I'm, I'm pretty anal. I would just call it uh, anxiety. I have to. I can't comfortably sit and fucking do it if I don't sit and watch the movie. And I'll just stress, even though it's supposed to be something that's fun. And if it's a new movie or something that, you know, you're not familiar with, I feel Nash will sometimes, but then sometimes it's like we're doing a tourist trap show. I, I shouldn't have to watch it, but I am compulsive, yeah. and I just do. <laughs> I'm, I'm up and down on it. Some, it depends on what it is. Like, if I've seen something numerous times, there's no, um, there's no point in rewatching. I know most of it in and out. But if there's something like I've seen maybe once or twice, I probably need a refresher, and there are some episodes you can go through the catalog and hear. When was the last time you watched this? Uh, some, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, there's some things I don't really remember. Sometimes it comes down for me, uh, I try to do it as more of a pleasurable thing, even though there's a lot of anxiety that's kicking in the back of my head of, oh, I'm, I'm just going to sit and watch. It gives me something to do, and it relates to something we were talking about at the beginning of the show, which is a pretty good place to end. When we decide what we're going to do, whether it's one movie or two movies or three movies, it's the communal Six. aspect. Yeah, sometimes movies. six. We've done insane amounts on this show before. And it's sitting down and being able to 
watch them and the experience of not that I'm so much doing this for something else, but everything we've talked about, that little bit of magic comes back. And if it's a movie I've seen a thousand times before, like Dark Star, still there's that magic that that beauty comes back. And that's something, at least throughout the whole point of this crazy show, I hope our audience can hold on to and grasp is it's not just film, but there definitely is magic in art and the art of film and the experience of watching it with other people, going to the theaters, finding the movies is something absolutely amazing. I love when we get messages on the website. Um, I guess a final thing we'll read off here. Somebody asked if we would do munchies. We have done, we've talked about it before, but yeah, I'll do it. Sure. You ask and you shall receive because if it gives you that magic back, if you can feel anything, if you are enjoying it, you sit and listen to death by DVD and, realize that you go watch the movie afterward maybe that magic is coming back maybe it's being relit and we have something to do with that and i hope so i really after 12 years of this show if we contribute anything to film society or horror or the horror scene it's relighting that magic for film it's falling in love with movies again and learning about them and having fun with it most importantly just enjoy it and enjoy yourselves and Fucking watch more horror. Make America strong. Come on. And like one of the most important things about film is being able being a AB <laughs> being able to emotionally connect to a piece of artwork. And if you don't emotionally connect to it, that's fine. Not everybody does. But when you do emotionally connect to a piece of artwork, it can mean numerous things and can take you through ebbs and flows. But you also need to understand sometimes when it is just an emotional memory that you're connecting with and not so much the film itself that film can spark off that memory um but that that's really what film analysis is about like how does it make you feel why does it make you feel that specific way and certain things might make you feel uncomfortable i like that's one actually one of the biggest aspects to horror films that i enjoy is when i find one that makes me feel uncomfortable that doesn't happen that often um but i like to be disturbed because a lot of people will say, um, someone asked me like a couple weeks ago, oh, you like horror movies? Oh, give me some recommendations. And I, that's a, another loaded question because to me it's like, what are you looking for? There's so many different types that I can recommend. Because like, if you're in my shoes, it's going to be something obscure and esoteric and possibly be emotionally damaging to some people. I can't tell you to watch that i can't tell you to watch clean shaven if you're not prepared to watch something like that or henry portrait of a serial killer like what are you into are you into slasher films i don't like gore well that's eliminated this amount of stuff so if you're asking somebody to recommend a horror film to you be specific of what you like because that can point people in the right direction of you know certain things that you might or might not like it's just one of those things that uh, always nags at me is just because it's like people say horror films like it's this ubiquitous term. Horror has so many subgenres and so many different types of horror films that it's almost impossible to answer that question. What are you looking for? I want to be scared. I don't know. Watch The Exorcist. Yeah, that's always the worst <laughs> one. I just want something scary. Uh, well, I, I, I have no concept of what fear what means to you. What does that mean? What makes you afraid? What look for some type in clowns into Google? I don't know. Yeah, like what what makes you afraid? Because when most people say I want something scary, well then just go to watch any Blumhouse thing where there's a thousand jump scares every twenty minutes. That'll probably scare you. But if you really want to be 
scared. I got some shit I can tell you about, but yeah, I don't know if you're going to really be into it or not. Well, I think the future of horror is definitely unknown, but it's rising. It's changing every day. It's becoming more accessible to people. It's becoming more acknowledged. Horror is not a joke. It's not a lesser genre. Horror directors are being taken much more seriously, horror writers. And the same can go for Death by DVD. We don't know what the future will hold, but we will continue to progress and try interaction is fantastic if there's something you want on the show there's something that you like tell us about it we'll focus on that we'll work with you to try and deliver a product that makes you feel included that's something that i think we've uncovered and really cherished is how great and inclusatory it is to be a member of the mutant family and just without even knowing these people i feel you are accepted no matter who you are or what you believe to a certain extent, because, you know, Nazis are not allowed in the mutant family. But I would hope that we can offer the exact same thing for our fans and our friends and the people that listen to this program. We want you to feel safe and welcome, and more importantly, we want you to feel like you can talk to us, and if you have anything to say, we are out there somewhere in Radio Land, always preparing for the next episode. And unfortunately, this is the end of the one you're listening to, the ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. Thank you so much for 12 years of terror. It's fantastic. I, I sometimes hate this show and get annoyed working and coming up with concepts, and then we do something like this, and it really, you know, looking back at where we started and where we are now, and so much, so much of this conversation in general, this is one of the reasons I love doing this. And I mentioned it earlier, it's learning. Every single moment you can learn, you definitely should take the option. Just, what else is there to do? You have this one life. Learn. Just learn and experience all you can. Watch more horror movies. We'll see you guys next week. Death by DVD Sentinel Remix by Linus Fitness Center. Find them and follow them on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Instagram today. On the next episode... We hurtle into space with a brand new three-part special, boldly going nowhere. Next week on Death by DVD. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. <laughs>